And I think for me, one of the questions I had to ask myself was, you know, is this something that, um, is this something I feel like I need to do because that's what I see other people modeling in the world, right? Or is there another way? And I think for me at the time, I didn't feel like I could, in, you know, in addition to this incubation phase, I didn't have a sense around like, so who's my audience, right? Like, who am I speaking to? Why am I doing it? What kind of communities do I want to cultivate? Hello world, you're listening to I Love What I Do and I'm your host, Toby Baje. Don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button so that you don't miss out on a new episode. We're also on Patreon, so if you want exclusive content, you want to listen to an episode sooner rather than later, then get access at Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash I love what I do. Iris, thank you very much for taking the time to be here today so you can talk to me. Very excited to have a conversation with you. Could you start by sharing with the listeners who you are, what you do, and of course, why you love what you do? Thank you for having me, Toby, firstly. Um, and yeah, my name is Iris. Um, professionally, I identify as a feminist systems innovator, and I basically bring the worlds of um, activism for gender justice um, alongside efforts to change systems and to support organizational development and movement building in different sectors. I often say that these research, facilitation, leadership development, organizational um, development as tools or modalities to support feminist movement building. And I'm really interested in systems change in philanthropy, in part because I spent the last three years um, of my life in strategic philanthropy, really supporting the work to channel um, financial and non-financial resources to feminist movements and organizations working on gender-based violence and violence prevention and response. So I'm very passionate about um, exploring and cultivating alternative ways to organize in philanthropy, in feminist movements, and in the social change um, ecosystem more broadly that embody the kinds of freedoms, the liberties, the forms of healing and care that we desire to see in the world. That is really exciting. Honestly, for me, I really want to understand, I'm sure the listeners will as well, So where did this passion all start from for you? Did you kind of always know that you um, would go into this sort of area in your career? It was an evolving journey. I think it's so interesting. I've been reflecting on this a lot because I'm trying to locate. So when was the moment I started identifying as an activist? And it wasn't always something that I identified as. I think Um, When I started off, especially in university, I had a very clear sense that I wanted to be in international relations and I wanted to be a diplomat. And um, one of my kind of biggest goals at the time was to work in the United Nations system and was well along that path. And I was on a fellowship um, in 2016 with the African Leadership Center where for the first time in my life, one of the professors said, I see that you're an activist and really kind of seeded that. I don't think I had identified as such, but it made mm. me very curious because I was so interested in the politics of knowledge and the stories that we tell about the African continent and even more so as it pertains to peace and security and feminist organizing in that space. And so I spent a lot of time crafting alternative narratives or narratives that challenged dominant discourses. And I think that's 
you know, although it didn't seem like activism at the time for me, that's when I started um, seeing the seed of activism within my life. And it kind of evolved in different ways over time. I mean, my more recent path as a founding director of my consulting practice was something I never imagined for myself. To be honest, I never wanted to be in entrepreneurship. I never wanted to work for myself. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Just, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, typically, like, we live in a time where in the zeitgeist, entrepreneurship is this amazing thing that is sought after and everyone wants to be their own boss. But I didn't desire that. I love working in community and I loved the idea of serving a vision and a purpose that not only advances my own sense of purpose, but also advances a social purpose in the world. So I'd always imagined working in your UNs or in academia, for example, or in NGO spaces. And I think my journey over the past five years started shifting and um, evolving my curiosities. And I became really interested, especially when I started working in the conversations around how we organize. And this was birthed by some of my experiences in amazing institutions, right? Where you're yeah, doing social purpose work, you are advancing peace and security, you're advancing gender equality, but internally in the context of the organization, none of us, you know, feel empowered. None of us have a sense of that peace and security internally or even in our conditions of working. And it just made me curious about why is it that there's this disconnect between the internal experience and the external work? And are there things that we can do to cultivate a curiosity and awareness of this disconnect? And then more importantly, to start shifting our practices and cultivating new practices that brings an alignment in terms of our values, in terms of our orientation, in terms of the experiences of people in organizations, in movements, in systems. So I think it was an evolving thing. Um, yeah, it wasn't something I ever thought I would be in. But the journey, especially, I think, over the past five to six years has really crystallized some of these seeds in different ways and culminated in my current journey. No, that makes a lot of sense. Even though you didn't see yourself though going into sort of entrepreneurship, though, how or when did it start to make more sense to you to start your own consultancy practice? So my caveat in response is that I'm a person of faith. And so my faith is the, the, the primary lens through which I experience like life and very big decisions or things around purpose, you know, and where I'm located professionally and otherwise. And I had a dream, initially a dream that gave me, quote unquote, um, a research topic that I've currently been exploring through my master's um, that I'm doing alongside the consulting work. And that dream you know kind of following that idea within the dream also led me to be quite curious about different ways of working and i i really felt quite strongly that i was being encouraged to take a leap and to start my own consulting journey and although i'd registered the consultancy a year prior it took me about seven to eight months to actually start operating in it <laughs> and in part because i was so concerned about like am I actually going to make a living from this? How am I going to right. survive? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I was in a role where I had a permanent contract. I had, you know, yeah. like I had a retirement plan. I had all these things. I had medical aid. Um, there was a sense of security in the role that I was in, but I was deeply dissatisfied, you know? So even though I was secure financially, quote unquote, um, really in my being, I was incredibly insecure and felt 
quite disconnected from the things that set my soul on fire. And so this dream really became a catalyst in a sense to explore different ways of being in the world in social change practice. Um, but also an invitation to dream again. And it's part of the reason I named my um, consulting practice Lauranakambe, which in my home language, Sitsonga, means um, dream again. And it's really, it was an invitation to the sector to reimagine the ways we advance social change work. But it was also an invitation for me to explore different ways of being. I, although I was in very purposeful work, I was very unhappy. I was incredibly depressed. I was deeply burned out and I realized that this wasn't a me thing, that sectorially there are things that occur within the nonprofit and the philanthropic sectors um, that advance the prevalence of overwork, of burnout, um, of this constant culture of producing and performing um, that stifles some of the radical imaginations that we have for change in the world and also in our organizing. So I think the mix of this dissatisfaction and the sense that there is a better way. There is a better way to organize, a better way to work, and also the the dream with the idea to really explore systems change and philanthropy. The combination of those two, I think, eventually led me into my consulting practice. No, that's really, really admirable. I really admire, especially when you talk about dreams. I'm a huge believer in you know, not ignoring those dreams and actually seeing where they take you because they can take you to so many places. So it's great that you have done that and you sound really passionate about what you what you do. So with the consultancy practice, when it came to starting it, what were some of the things or tools or advice? How did you know what to, you know, to start with? Like, how did you actually get it running? So when I initially started, I kind of started the traditional way. Um, so I registered the practice, um, you know, I was applying for bids and stuff to do consulting work and kind of had a very technical approach to it. But when I started operating in my consulting practice, I realized that the way I was registered, the way I was going about it just wasn't working for me. And I felt this invitation to rest, you know, because a lot of what I was doing was rooted in scarcity. Like I believed there isn't enough in the world. So I have to compete. I have to hustle. I have to position my work in particular ways so that I can get noticed. But the invitation that I believe God was calling me to in that moment was an invitation to abundance, to realize that there's so much work. There's so many opportunities. And it's more about being aligned and resting in that truth of abundance that connects me to the things that I'm interested in. And funny enough, um, my own forms of curiosity were things that um, also ignited certain consulting opportunities. So people would call me and say, hi, Iris, I know you're interested in this because you're currently studying. Do you want to do a consultancy on X, Y, and Z? And I've also had amazing, most of my experiences of like consulting partnerships have been people calling me and saying, hi, Iris, we were praying and God said, you know, um, let's work together. We should give you a contract. So That's I've had amazing. like such an incredible mix of these like supernatural experiences, you know, that mm. make it so difficult for me to divorce my consulting yes. yeah. journey from, from my faith and from spirituality. Um, but yeah, I think like that's one part. And then also almost the networks that you build over the years, um, whether it's professionally or in the context of your academic studies really helps a lot. 
Um, I was very fortunate that in the first few months of my consulting journey, the organization that I worked with before um, offered me opportunities to consult on projects that I was working on while I was working there. Um, and, and that was a good start, I think, for me to leverage that kind of relationship to start my consulting journey. But I also knew that I wanted to get into feminist spaces a lot more. So initially kind of volunteered in feminist spaces and then that transitioned into consulting contracts, which have brought me great joy. Um, and then there are just those contracts that you just you can't explain it you know it's literally a god said you know or someone just sends you an email and says hi iris we have this um work this piece of work and we'd really love you to do it um so i've had yeah a good mix of the networks being an enabler to start the consulting journey and also a whole lot of supernatural provision along the way no that's great and you spoke about the importance of kind of you're building your network can we talk about that like for you what would you recommend for someone who's trying to build their own network um i will say that i, I don't think i was always very intentional about network building um in my career but what i have noticed is that how people experience you is a way to build your network um so how you show up to your work is a way to build your network how how you, you write that research paper, how you compile a report, how you do the work that you're doing is a great way to build your network because people remember those experiences, particularly if they're positive um, and want to work with you again in the future. I think one thing that I've been very intentional about um, in the different spaces I've worked in is to approach my work with a radical ethic of care because oftentimes in organizational spaces, you know, and we can become quite dehumanized because the focus is on outputs and products and productivity. Um, and so a lot of my focus in my professional life has been about really centering um, the humanity of people, seeing people deeply and caring for them deeply. Um, and oftentimes people will, people want to work with me because of that ethic or because they remember that in this particular space, we worked in this way and therefore we would like you to do similar work in a different context. I think also um, LinkedIn has been an interesting way to build networks, professional networks. And I think, you know, th there's a lot <laughs> going on on yeah. LinkedIn, so it can be quite difficult to navigate that space. Um, but I think that's also just a usual way, a, a useful way rather, in terms of positioning yourself and your contribution, but also drawing the line between like, you know, the performativity of it and how am I engaging authentically about what I'm doing, um, about what I'm thinking about in the world um, and the things that are happening in my life. Um, no. I think another useful network building tool is I think maintaining good relationships with people when you have those encounters with them is very useful we're not always in touch with each other all the time right um but I think and I think this emphasizes a previous point that people really do remember those positive experiences and unfortunately they also remember the ones that are not so great um and so sometimes our authenticity and our kindness becomes the tool that builds our networks more than our positioning on LinkedIn or on other professional platforms, for example. No, that's definitely some great, great advice. Are these sort of 
tools that or you know a piece of advice that you were told or advised about before when it came to building your network or are these just things you've learned over time I think these are definitely things I've learned over time. Um, I think also my parents really emphasized the value of like hard work and, and excellence. And I think I also had to learn the balance with that because I was, I am a recovering um, perfectionist and a recovering hardworking person, a recovering right. do whatever it takes to get things done. And that that um, led me into burnout and health issues for quite some time. And so I'm also learning to find the balance in um, working hard and excellently, but also not doing so at the detriment of my health and well-being. And, and knowing that I can achieve amazing things without sacrificing those things. I don't need to sacrifice myself to build a movement. I don't need to sacrifice myself to advance social justice. I don't need to sacrifice myself for an excellent review, for example, that helps me to build my network. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, it's a lot of these things have emerged over time. Um, I think also, oh, I wanted to say one of the things that really built my network with scholarship programs, strangely, or maybe not so strangely. Um, yeah. Some of the scholarships that I held had a big emphasis on building community and building networks. Um, and, and some of those scholarship programs later on then became clients um, because wow. they knew the kind of work that I was interested in and my focus, and there was a, an alignment between their organizational priorities and the work that I'm interested in. Um, so scholarships also became a very interesting way to build networks quite organically, you know, without all the labor, but yes. having <laughs> an organization hold the space for you to connect with others. Great. How did you find those scholarships? Is it just, you know, did you go online and just kind of look for them or did someone kind of let you know that this would be quite a good way to try and help you with that network and the community building? I remember my... Um, when I think about my postgraduate scholarships, um, it was funny enough through the department I was studying in, the Department of Political Science at the University of Pretoria, and they had a partnership with um, the African Leadership Center that then became kind of my intellectual home for quite some time. Um, and because of that partnership, they shared some of the opportunities that are emerging there. Um, and I think, you, you know, initially, you know, honestly, when I applied to many of these scholarships, the aspiration was to have funding for my studies. And I think while you're in it, you also see the beauty of connecting with others and the community building and the friendships that you form, but also the partnerships, professional and otherwise, that you form within that context. Um, I also had amazing people in my life who shared opportunities all the time. Um, and because yeah and i saw them as people who connect others to opportunity and so even in my own life i really try to share um information about opportunities as much as possible because i know how incredibly enabling that process has been um in my own life and then some things yes you get online some things you know some scholarship opportunities um you come across them by chance but a lot of the opportunities that I accessed were mostly through people who shared the opportunities with me or an institution that um, frequently would share the possibilities for um, scholarships, whether it was domestically within South Africa or for um, international study. 
No, that's really, really great, especially that you took also that initiative as well. And you seem to be someone, though, who really enjoys learning because I, I think I had a look at the number of degrees that you, you have and the fact that you have explored sort of international studies, African studies, also political sciences and so much more. Is this true uh, in regards to you enjoying just learning and how has this contributed to where you are today in your career? I love this question. I'm a deep, deep lover of learning. Um, and I think this love was cultivated by my parents. My mom is a teacher. And, you know, when we were growing up, we had a stack of books everywhere. There were always books. Um, and so if we wanted entertainment, my mom would either direct us to books or to TV. <laughs> but there was a big yeah. emphasis on reading. Um, and so I think that's where my love for learning came from. Seeing my mom as an avid reader made me go, hmm, why does she like it so much? Maybe I should see what's in there. Um, and, and I think that has shaped my approach to life as well, because I really, really love learning. And I also don't believe that learning is only limited to um, formal educational institutions like universities. I've done, you know, kind of the most profound learning in workplaces, in conversations with people you know, and with a range of educational experiences. So I, I really believe in a democratized approach to learning, even though I've spent the bulk of my educational experiences in very formal educational institutions. Um, I think my, my studies have really shaped the journeys that I have navigated as a professional, as a human being. I, it's quite interesting for me. I've never seen education as a way to, hmm, let me word this better. Oftentimes when we frame the need of education, we do so in the context of employment, you know, or um, oftentimes it's linked to nationalistic agendas around nation building and development. And, and yes, all of those things are true. I think for me, my primary motivation has often been around like self-actualization like there was this really intrinsic sense that there's something about myself and my passions that I will discover in these learning experiences and so I often go into a learning space with that objective thinking about my current set of studies the main reason I applied to this program in inclusive innovation was as a reflective space to think about my time in philanthropy and also to create space for me to intellectually connect to the schools of thought that will deepen my own um, praxis around social justice and feminist movement building in the world. So, um, yeah, I just have this, for me, this love of learning is deeply linked to self-actualization. And um, I, I guess learning is for me also a practice of like loving myself and I, I just love I love learning I love reading I love what happens inside my body when I read I get so excited and um, sometimes I have these feelings where I feel like I'm in love <laughs> as I'm reading I something that. yeah <laughs> like I really really love that journey and, and and what comes up for me um learning is a practice of joy and healing for me. So I love connecting to that. 
And I'm also learning more and more to create spaces outside of formal educational, you know, institutions where I can continue to center learning in my work, in my living, in how I exercise and how I eat, in the relationships that I have in my life as well. Definitely. I think there's so much that everyone can learn and, you know, kind of just make sure you're not kind of claiming always that you are an expert in everything because you know we're always learning there's always something new and just sticking with um the journey and just being ready for it I think that's what you're doing and that's really proving to showcase in in your career and in your life and, and shape it really well and really nicely is there anything that you're reading at the moment or anything that you have read that you can share that you would advise maybe people give a read goodness I'm reading so much at the moment. <laughs> I've got this really bad habit of reading multiple books at the same time <laughs> mm, I've done that too restless brain restless brain <laughs> and as a result the journey of finishing books is quite a thing but I'm mm. getting a lot better at it um so at the moment I'm reading um, Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. I'm also reading Homecoming um, by yeah. Dr. Tamer. Um, I'm reading a book on um, insulin resistance. I seem to have forgotten the name. Um, I'm also reading a book on um, Cultivated Dream. I'm flagging okay, on the name. Da, 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 Lots da. Of books. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm also reading a book on organizational culture at the moment because I'm really just I'm so interested in that ah, I remember the name the book is why we get sick um, okay. by Dr. Benjamin Bickman and it speaks about like insulin resistance and how um, metabolic disorders have often been misdiagnosed and we focus on the wrong things and kind of cultivating a practice where we are mindful of the impact of insulin in our bodies and how to create forms of metabolic balance um, in our bodies through diet, through exercise, through movement, um, etc. Um, what's the last book that I'm reading? I think that's the heart of it. Those are most of the books that I'm reading. That's great. No, I'm sure moment. people can give those a read. There's so many books. I, I absolutely love reading as well. And I do love listening to books. Uh, I also recommend Audible if anyone does love listening to books as well. But yeah, learning. There's so many different ways, so many different formats where we can do this now. So thank you for sharing those. With your, you know, you, you're, you're a founding director of the consultancy practice that you have spoken about. When it comes to shaping it and growing it, what does your sort of everyday look like? I love this question. So I think in the beginning, I thought a lot about how I'm going to work in this practice. And so some of the foundational pillars of the practice is around rest. And modeling rest and healing and wholeness in the way I approach consulting and the way I approach feminist movement building and the way I work with others. Um, and also experiencing embodying the sense of justice that I want to see in the world in my own practice. Um, so what does justice feel like in my body? What does justice feel like when I'm working towards a deadline and I didn't give myself enough time, for example? What does justice look like when I'm stretched? So I spent a lot of time thinking about how, like the principles that shape how I work so that I can show up quite differently um, in my consulting work. 
Um, I spend a lot of time supporting organizations or collectives, and, and that's, to be honest, mostly where my headspace is. Um, trying to hold space for organizations or to support them in advancing some of their goals. Um, and so a lot of my my days and my day to day is structured around kind of, you know, like scheduling and juggling when to focus on which consulting work and um, how to ensure that I can show up in ways that serve myself, but in ways that also serve um, the organization that I'm working with. Um, when it comes to growth, I, this is going to be very interesting. I don't think a lot about the growth of Laura Magambe outside of the very clear need <laughs> to, to, to build a team and have support. Um, but I don't fixate on growth in part because there's this awareness, I think, in my being that as I continue to show up with intentionality and awareness, that that seeds the growth. Um, that my organization, quote unquote, needs or requires. Um, I also don't fixate too much about growth because I'm, I'm quite drawn to justice arguments around like degrowth, right? Um, and I hope I'm referencing this correctly. But, you know, in the context of like economic growth, for example, we've seen how the pursuit of economic growth at the expense of all else has had tremendous costs in our countries has exacerbated inequality in part because of the macroeconomic policies that were chosen, right? Um, and connecting this to the social change space, um, there's, this effort, there's this emphasis on scaling, right? There's this politics around scaling where big is better, big is the way, big is the growth right. path. Yeah. But um, there is an interesting kind of anti-scale movement that says part of the, the challenge um, and part of the reason why in the social justice space, we see a replication of neo-colonial dynamics is because of this scaling big, everything must be big and, you know, um, replicated across context to matter. But politics in different countries differ, right? So why should we scale one model everywhere? Mm -hmm. um, but also for me, what this means is that um, I'm, I'm very happy with either states, whether the trajectory of my consulting practice is to remain, you know, like a solopreneur pathway or is to expand, to collaborate and to incorporate more people. Um, I don't, success for me is more about how I show up every day and the intentionality and what I'm learning as opposed to size. Um, and also as opposed to, um, for example, how much, how much money are we making? You know, even though I, I don't believe that impact and, you know, um, profit are mutually exclusive, I, I, I believe that you can do both and I'm doing both currently. But um, yeah, I don't fixate a lot about growth. I think my main focus is really focusing on how I'm organizing, how am I showing up and how is that seeding the, the practice around justice and liberation and equity that I'm trying to cultivate in the world really really interesting that you mentioned about that sort of anti-scaling movement that is um quite interesting even for myself to hear so no thanks thank you for sharing that I think um when it comes to doing what you're doing you know you're you're really trying to change systems and make things better especially when it comes to equality and helping people understand what what is actually going to help what is actually going to make a difference with the people that you work with whether they're individuals 
organizations, collectives. What are some ways that you are doing this? Um, one of the things that I really, really love doing is um, providing spaces to rethink how we organize. So I think a lot about the internal lives of our partnerships, of our movements, of our collectives. Um, and that excites me tremendously. That work really, really gets me excited because that is where we pilot what it looks like, for example, to work from a place of rest, what it looks like to have both um, abundance in terms of security, but also abundance in terms of your wealth, in terms of your impact, in terms of um, your health and your well-being. So I love organizing differently and supporting individuals, organizations, and collectives to do that work. Um, yeah, that, that is really like a core thing for me that I really enjoy. I also use research and knowledge production as a way to support that work. Um, and that, that blends both the love of learning with this justice movement building practice and brings those two together to create spaces to reflect on what is emerging from our practice and how can we use these um, these things that are being surfaced to support how as movements or as a sector we're thinking more broadly about the work that we do and how we're organizing. Um, one of the, the pieces of work that also gets me excited is thinking about feminist movement building in the gender-based violence space. Um, and I work with an incredible advocacy collective that is continuously doing that work of connecting practitioners, connecting researchers, um, connecting academics to um, each other so that we can learn from each other and, and, and shift practice within the spaces and the sectors that we operate in. So that is another way that, um, yeah, I do that work on a day-to-day one of the newer areas of work in my consulting practice but has been a deep passion for quite some time is thinking about how do we change the way philanthropy operates and i'm starting to do um, some work with very interesting collectives around this that are shifting the way philanthropy organizes through community oh, building mm -hmm. yeah through um you know directing more resources towards feminist movements and women's rights organizations and black feminist organizing in particular and also channeling resources to young feminists and exploring the range of autonomous resourcing that is done by activists themselves to support their own movements so i really i, I love that work and I also love feminist approaches to organizational development that I'm learning more about. And I'm hoping that in the future, um, I, I can build and cultivate a practice around that um, and, and co-learn with other organizations how to do that work. So when it comes to this work, are you do you believe in giving yourself sort of short term and long term goals? Or do you have a completely different approach of how you look at the change that you're trying to bring into the world? Yeah, I do definitely have short term and long term goals. Um, and, and I guess some of them are personal in terms of this is my journey. And then also the more collective goals around this is how I want to contribute to a sector or um, to a movement, for example. So the goal setting helps. Um, what I've often found in my own journey of of goal setting is that a lot of things that I put in my like medium to long term goals were things that happened in the short term quite quickly, um, which yeah, it just felt like the divine providence of God. 
Um, but yeah, I'm constantly shifting these goals in part because I think I'm also constantly shifting and the things that I'm interested in continue to be refined and deepened the more I practice and the more I learn. Um, and so there are definitely things that I hold um, as aspirations and things to work towards. But I also recognize that so much of our lives are emergent, right? And um, while goals are useful, I also create space for the unexpected to happen. I also create space for the future to emerge as I as I dream. Um, yeah, and, and 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 plan and aspire. No, that's brilliant. And you know, being an entrepreneur, you're you're doing it all alone, especially at the moment. It's not exactly a nine to five, but it can be very rewarding when you are an entrepreneur. You have your own business and more satisfying as we did even talk about that before than a corporate jobs at some times so what are three sort of skills that you believe are important to have being an entrepreneur <laughs> i won't lie i had like a sense of imposter syndrome when you asked that question. oh no <laughs> it's part because you know the the entrepreneur identity is one that that i'm still working on yeah right <laughs> it doesn't fit as as easily as other identities, professional identities that I ascribe to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so oh, when I when I step outside of that frame. <laughs> yeah, well, even just, you know, yourself and your experience, you know, working in, you know, having this consultancy practice and doing all of this work, as you've mentioned, it's just you at the, mo at the moment. What are three sort of things that have helped you to be able to, manage this business and make sure that you are bringing change forward? Um, I think the first one is the ability to connect the dots. That is so helpful because many of us are doing work that speaks to each other. It's quite complementary, but we often don't, we often aren't connected to each other. Um, and so we miss the opportunities for, for partnership and collaboration. Um, but even conceptually, being able to, um, bring what seems like very divergent schools of thinking or streams of thought together into a practice is something that has been quite helpful for me um, and I think has also helped me um, to be at the intersection of different fields but to also um, kind of be a weaver um, in my social change practice. Um, so that's one, connecting the dots is very useful. I think in general, like a very basic sense of financial management is very useful. Um, there's a part of me that's like entrepreneurship is not as hard as we make it, you know, as, as we make it out to be, but also it is as hard as we make it out to be. But I think there are kind of basics that, um, very, very basic kind of rudimentary skills that are quite helpful, especially in terms of, for example, thinking about things like income tax, thinking about how you pay yourself, thinking about things like setting up different banking accounts, for example, at a very basic level, you know, for your business and for your own, your own kind of accounts, keeping that separate so that you have a great way of managing your, expense, your expenses and also being able to anticipate things um, so that ebbs and flows don't um, destabilize you, but you're able to ride the wave because you're able to maximize moments where um, 
you know, maybe all your invoices are paid in a particular month, but then for the next three months, you know, you won't get payments, for example. Um, so being able to sequence things with very basic financial management skills, I find is quite useful. Um, and then I think connecting to your why, which isn't a skill per se, but I think as a focus, always reminding yourself, why am I doing this work? Why does it matter? Really helps a lot in the journey because um yeah sometimes it, it you you are likely to lose your focus when opportunities come your way that may not be as aligned um but you're thinking about the bottom line and so um connecting to your why helps you to um let go of opportunities that may not be aligned but also to explore other opportunities that maybe weren't within your realm that you didn't think were things that you could do but upon deeper engagement you realize that it could bring something quite different to your practice or could bring another element to um the work that you do one thing i will say that is a skill is around the like relationship building component of the work, you know, because we are not, we are not islands. Um, the work that we do is so interconnected. Um, and so creating those spaces to partner with people, um, and it doesn't have to be at a monetary level. It can even be like an ideological partnering or forms of solidarity and allyship that, that really bring you into community as an entrepreneur. I think is so useful because the entrepreneurial journey can be quite lonely. Um, and so I think one of the ways to combat that loneliness is to be in community with others um, and, and also to build the kind of relationships that, that, that can form almost like a supportive kind of structure or network for you as you navigate different seasons of your social entrepreneurial journey. No, for definite. I think having that community is really important. It's, you know, important for us to be in touch with with people as well. And as you mentioned, because it can get very lonely. So that is very key. And that's, those are some really great learnings and some great points. With your with your um, consultancy practice and just your line of work, it involves you, of course, working with various different people. So are you kind of open then to getting your message out on various different platforms and mediums and how have you found this? Hmm. I've adopted a very different approach. Um, I think initially when I started, I wanted to share everything everywhere <laughs> quite hmm. quickly, but then I just felt the sense that I had an incubation period and I needed to I needed to just kind of sit and let some of the reflections percolate, you know, in my being um, and, and let the lessons land before I share them. And so um, <laughs> this journey has felt a lot like a pregnancy <laughs> that is in the first trimester and I've been like hiding it and you don't really tell people, maybe you tell one or two people, but by and large, it's kind of this very hidden journey. That's um, an interesting and that's way what, to see you that. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what the wow. first year of my entrepreneurial journey has felt like, you know, very mm -hmm. early stage pregnancy um, that I haven't been communicating a lot about. But interestingly enough, in the past two to three months, 
um, I've been starting to communicate a bit more about the journey and the things that I'm learning. And I think in part, because I'm also at the tail end of my second master's journey, where I'm wow, starting to yeah. really consolidate some of those learnings and reflections. Mm -hmm. It's it's helped me to, to articulate the things that I've been learning in the journey alongside the work of partnering with organizations and movements for social change. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't positioned myself publicly um, to be honest, quite intentionally because of this acknowledgement that I'm really in an incubation phase. And so yeah. I'm deeply learning and, and deeply kind of surfacing some of these things that are emerging in my work. Um, and, yeah. and when I feel a sense of release, um, then yeah, I think I'll, I'll position myself in more public ways. Yeah, that is some, that's the reason why I actually wanted to ask you, because even when I was doing my own research, that is something that I did notice. So I wanted to find out if that was an intentional thing that you wanted to do, because a lot of the time you tend to see a lot of businesses have the kind of website and they're all over everywhere on social media. And they always feel that that's the need, that's the way to connect with people and do the what they need to do and drive the change that they're trying to, to drive. But interestingly, it's different with yours. And it's, it's quite interesting to see how you can still, you know, create effective change without all of that as well. And when you feel ready, then you can be a bit more public. Yeah, and I think, you know, both approaches have, you know, their utility and their effectiveness um, because I've seen the incredible ways in which by publicly positioning your work, you're able to build communities around your work, right? And it's also a space where you can consistently reflect on the practice. And I think for me, one of the questions I had to ask myself was, you know, is this something that, um, is this something I feel like I need to do because that's what I see other people modeling in the world, right? Or is there another way? And I think for me at the time, I didn't feel like I could, in, you know, in addition to this incubation phase, um, I didn't have a sense around like, so who's my audience, right? Like, who am I speaking to? Why am I doing it? What kind of communities do I want to cultivate? Um, and what I've found is that the questions around the like how I'm working, the cultivating of communities is happening through my work, such that for me at this stage in the journey, um, the public positioning wouldn't do that for me per se. But, you know, who knows? I think at another stage in the journey, it might be quite useful to position myself in those ways and the work in those ways. But I think right now it's been almost quite protective in a way to have the space where I can explore, where I can learn, where I can grow, um, almost in hiddenness, um, but also to still be able to cultivate these deep forms of community and connection with the organizations I'm working with and the movements that I'm working with. No, definitely. And I think with you, probably what has helped you to be able to not have to do that straight away with publicly positioning yourself is, as you mentioned, the relationships that you have built with people, even just studying and the world of academia and making those connections and being able to find people to work with through those areas. So almost having that kind of knowledge and expertise already, already can show that, you know, we can trust this person. She She's very hardworking and very passionate about what she's doing. And we've been able to connect with her through these different sort of institutions and experiences. So. I think that's definitely what's helped you 
And I would definitely say that probably when you do public, publicly um, position the company and, and your, your business, your line of work, it's probably only going to get better because you've already built that foundation. So it definitely makes sense. And I think what you're showing is trusting yourself is really, really key. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, brilliant. So for people then who are looking to know more about you, where can they reach you? I'm generally active on LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, I'm Iris Nunalita Smith. So you can connect with me there. Yeah, I, I don't post as much, but generally respond to emails and have like or messages and have really amazing conversations on LinkedIn as well. Um, so you can connect with me there. I do have like Twitter accounts and Instagram, but I'm not very active on them. Um, I have nothing against social media. Um, yeah, I'm just not very active on those platforms. So LinkedIn, I think, would definitely be the best place to do so. And my email. I'm not sure if if I can give my email details, maybe in like the transcription notes, you can share my email. Yeah, address. I'll share them in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. But um, I'm quite responsive via my email. So if you'd like to connect, um, yeah, just to chat more. Um, I really just love connecting about like our life journeys. The work that we do can be part of it, but I'm exactly. generally quite a curious person. So um, if people want to reach out just, just to have a conversation, um, I'm very open to that as well. Thank you so much, Iris, for your time. Honestly, it's been such a positive chat. I've learned so much and I'm sure so many people that will be listening to this will too. So thank you again for joining me and talking to me. Thank you so much, Toby. I've really enjoyed our conversations and the questions you ask um, <laughs> as well. It's really helped me to reflect on the journey. Um, and I hope I've been able to articulate some of the things that have been on my heart um, about the journey of social entrepreneurship, but also more broadly, I think about you know, our journeys around like purpose and our careers that are continuously evolving um, and, and that we see we see in parts in different seasons. And I hope our conversation today has given that glimpse of the journey that it is OK to have multiple career paths and multiple passions and multiple pursuits because we are so dynamic and there's space for us to explore all those different facets of who we are. If you love this episode, it would be a great help if you'd head over to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave a review. Share across your socials with the hashtag, I love what I do. And of course, don't forget to share with anyone that you know that would benefit from this episode because I want you all to love what you do and live doing what you love. Until next time, world.